good morning, church. How are you? Good. I appreciate the feedback. <laughs> My name is Ben Purvis. I am the Minister of Discipleship in Young Adults, and I am beyond grateful to have the opportunity to get to speak to you this morning. I, di I didn't know if I would have, have another shot to get to do this again, so this is a really special moment for me. I want to thank uh, our pastor, Sam, uh, because until this morning, he had never heard me speak before, so he took a chance on me, and I appreciate that. I also want to thank my wife, Samantha. It's, it gets tricky sometimes with the Sams, um, because we, we are a package deal, so anything good that happens, it's because of her. Uh, in fact, she was the one that felt called to McKinney before I did, and so we're grateful. We love this place. Um, so here we go. On September 30th of 2015, I put a for sale sign in the front yard and on October 1st left Mobile, Alabama, where I was born and raised, and headed to Dallas with my wife, a dog, and a car full of stuff. In fact, we have a picture of what that morning looked like. The dog would not cooperate in the, in the photo, but this was the start of an adventure we called our Texodus. It was a season of new jobs and new ministries. We traded a three-bedroom house for a one-bedroom apartment. We sold 90% of our stuff because the first time we saw the inside of our new place was after we had been given the keys. We could either keep the dresser or the king-size bed. So I lived out of those cloth boxes that you put kids' toys in for about four years. My marriage was about to be tested, but not because we moved away from family or changed careers and not because we were in an apartment. It was because for the first time in what was eight years of being together, we had to share one bathroom. <laughs> Some of y'all are laughing too hard at them. I had spent over 10 years in student ministry and now was trying to figure out how to do work in the group's world. Samantha traded a classroom for a lab, literally with a lab coat and everything. It was kind of cute. At that moment, we didn't know if our life could feel any more upside down, but through it all, I never once doubted God's calling on my life until... We rolled up to 6.35 and 75 at 5 in the afternoon, and we thought, what have we done? <laughs> it took us years to find a house, but we quickly found a home, a place to belong, and that was largely due to God allowing us to experience authentic Christian community. I tell you, church, with zero hyperbole, Having a group of people we were able to walk alongside to experience the joys and pain of life together, motivated by the mission of God under the umbrella of the grace of God, was transformative. Since being in Texas, I have buried both of my parents, a father-in-law, and my wife had life-changing surgery that put her out of work for almost two months. One reason I did not lose my mind was because of godly people, several in this room today, who were willing to step into our life and be there. That is something I hope every one of you can experience. Life on its own can be crippling. So on behalf of Samantha and myself, thank you for letting us be a part of the family at First McKinney. So if you have a Bible, 
I encourage you to open it now, or let's be honest, go ahead and find the app of your choice. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one in the pew pocket in front of you, and if you decide to take that home with you, we won't tell. We are still working through Romans, but we are almost done. Romans is in the New Testament, about three-quarters of the way through the Bible. We have worked our way through all of the chapters except one, and now we find ourselves in chapter 16. So before we begin, I'm going to set a couple of guidelines. First, we will cover some ground, 23 verses to be in fact. But don't worry, we're going to get it on time, I promise. Because we have a lot, we won't be able to do a deep dive into everything in the text. So if you have a question about the passage, I encourage you to check out our podcast. Yes, we actually have a podcast where we will talk about some of the things that did not make it into the sermon. In fact, you can even send in your own question and we will look to answer that. If I don't know the answer, I'll make it up. <laughs> I, won't, I won't do that, but I will ask Sam. And speaking of, I think Sam is playing a rib on the new guy by giving me this text this morning. If you've read ahead, there are over 20 names in the passage that we're about to look at. And did I mention that I am from Alabama? <laughs> I have got no shot at pronouncing these correctly, so what I'm gonna do is to say everything this morning confidently and quickly. <laughs> so here we go. Romans 16, follow along beginning in verse one. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever need she may have from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epineatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those in the Lord, Trophania and Trophosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. We got a few more names. Almost. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. 
So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greets you. There's so much here. And it's easy to skip over the greetings of over 20 people as unimportant, especially when you think about all of the rich truths and theology we find in Romans. In fact, if you ask the average pastor what their favorite book of the Bible is, Romans is at or near the top. I mean, think about it. We have an entire gospel presentation just of verses found in Romans that we call the Romans Road. We get God's thoughts on politics, salvation, sanctification, not to mention all the stuff in Romans 8 about election. You name it, it is in the book of Romans. So why in the world should we focus our time and energy on a bunch of names of people that we know very little about? I want to remind you that this book is a real letter written to real people working through real problems in a time where the church was vulnerable, facing immense social and cultural pressure. That matters today. So I want to give you an observation from this text that has framed everything else that I will say to you this morning. And if you only get this part, I'd be cool with that. You ready? Paul does not separate the teaching of God's word from the community of God's people. There is tremendous value placed on unity and Christian community. And something that I hope that you see this morning, community is foundational to your spiritual development. In his book, The Other Half of Church, author Michael Hendricks writes about the correlation between experiencing community and neuroscience, the study of the brain. And he makes the following statement. He says, our brains draw life from our strongest relational attachments to grow our character and develop our identity. Who we love shapes who we are. If you remember the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself, you will never love Jesus without being in relationship with him. You will never love your neighbor without being in relationship with them. So this morning, in light of what we see in Romans 16, I show you what this text teaches us about community. And to that end, I offer you three points. For Christian community to be experienced, it must be pursued, provided, and protected. That is good Baptist alliteration right there. The word of God will always flourish in the context of relationship. It is why our strategy of reaching a broken world, of seeing outsiders become insiders, the lost to become found, is meeting needs, building relationships, and then sharing Jesus and teaching obedience. This morning, for Christian community to be experienced, it must be pursued. Look again with me with verses 1 and 2. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Syncrie, which I had to practice that word a bunch because phonetically, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. <laughs> that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself 
as well. A few things about Phoebe. First, Phoebe was tasked with bringing Paul's letter to the believers in Rome, which is no easy undertaking in and of itself. The postal service of the first century was inefficient at best. A large percentage of mail and correspondence never made it to its final destination. You had to be very careful who you let handle your mail. Could you imagine for a moment what would it be like if we did not have the book of Romans? Phoebe's faithfulness led her to bearing the responsibility of bringing the word of God to believers. Another reason her role was difficult is most likely Phoebe was the one who would have been the first one to read the letter to the community, which also made her the first line of defense if someone had questions. No pressure, right? Second, Phoebe came from a strong community. Go ahead and look at this map. This, you might recognize this is the same map that Ryan showed us last week, although I don't have the cool stuff to, to draw on it, so you'll have to just go with me here. So Paul is writing from Corinth. If you look at the center, kind of towards the left, you will find Corinth on the map. That is where Paul is writing his letter to Romans. Phoebe is from Syncrie. Syncrie and Corinth are only about six or seven miles apart, and so you don't see it on the map, but there is strong evidence that concludes that the church in Corinth was planted or the, I'm sorry, that the church in Corinth planted the church at Syncrie and that these two fellowships were in close relationship with one another. So this is where I'd like to make the point. You heard it with Deepak earlier about the importance of planting churches. When strong Christian communities plant other strong Christian communities, the gospel spreads exponentially. Folks knew Jesus in Syncrie because of the faithfulness of those people in Corinth. And when both were on mission together, it is in the context of one church where the book of Romans was written, and it's in the context of another where the letter was delivered. But through this all, Phoebe needed community, and Paul understood this. He says in verse 2, to welcome her and help her in whatever need she has. Now, if you look back at this map, the distance between Corinth and Sincrea was short. You could get there and back in a day. But the distance between Corinth and Sincrie and Rome, you'll find Rome at the top at the left, was over 700 miles and had to be traveled via boat. In the first century, the vast majority of people never went beyond a 100-mile radius of where they were born their entire life. For Phoebe to go 700 miles... It was like going to a whole new world. She knew no one, had no one, and if her needs were going to be met, it had to come from the church. I said this from the start, but we'll say it again. You need community. I don't know what brought you into this church or even this city, but some of you have brought things into the sanctuary this morning that you are absolutely struggling with to deal with on your own. It was not your cho choice to get let go from that job or to receive that test result, or to lose that person you love dearly, but church, can I tell you, you do not have to walk through it alone. But if you want to experience Christian community, you have to pursue it. Phoebe was welcomed into the family from the Romans, but she had to show up. She had to be willing to have her needs met. She had to be willing to be a part of the community. She had to be willing to let her needs be known to them. And here's the good news for any of you not connected this morning. One of my jobs at this church is to help you get connected into community. 
For Phoebe, her pursuing community was intertwined with her living on mission. And I believe one of the best ways for you to pursue community, other than just showing up like she did, is to start seeking out the mission of God on your life. You may find that God provides it along the way. But not only must you pursue it, but for Christian community to be experienced, it must be provided. Did you notice that there were a lot of names that we mentioned? Some of them were easier to say than others. And for the sake of time and brevity, I'm not going to go through them all. But I, want, I don't want to gloss over the importance of what we see in these verses. The setting in Rome was unique, and evidence supports that there were multiple house churches, not just one, and so this letter also was a way to connect the different people together. So let me give you some facts about some of the names and the people that we see. First, apart from Prisca and Aquila, we don't know much about the people on the list. What we do know, Prisca and Aquila were a married couple who met Paul in Corinth, after being expelled from Rome, the emperor Claudius made a decree that forced any Jew who followed Christ to leave the area. So again, think about it. Most people never went 100 miles. For Prisca and Aquila to be basically deported, they were in a whole new world. They meet up with Paul, and so what do they do? They end up in a church as believers. In fact, verse 4, Paul says that Prisca and Aquila risked their necks for my life, and to whom not only I give thanks, but the churches of the Gentiles do as well. They were with Paul when he was at the church in Ephesus. They shared in his mission. And once the edict from Claudius was rescinded, they went back to Rome and they started a church. They immediately began reaching out to others. They took the gospel back to their home and they started a small group in their neighborhood. They did not go back to their home and say, well, there's nothing for me here they became the church for other people. They began providing community for those around them, did not wait for it to be provided for them. But what about the others? So here's some facts about some of those that were listed in the passage. So we have 24 people named and two others mentioned. So we basically have 26 people total. Of those 26 people mentioned by name in this passage, nine are women, five were slaves, at least two had political connections. Some were Jewish, some were Latin, most were Greek. What you do not see is one nation, one class, one race, one social grouping, one socioeconomic status. The church was as unique as the culture was around them. Now, can I highlight my favorite verse in the entire passage? After going through a whole bunch of names, and a whole bunch of greetings. Look with me in verse 16 when Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Let's talk about that for a moment. Now, I will not let this verse go by because I believe there's so much in this. But don't get too nervous. I am not going to ask you to turn and greet your neighbor. And that is not what Sam means when he says, go love your neighbor. Let's make sure we get that straight. But this was a practice for the first century and first century believers specifically. You remember back in the day when sometimes you'd go to church and, and they would tell you to stand and greet your neighbor. Sometimes we would say things like, uh, offer them the right hand of Christian fellowship. This is not what that verse means. Verse 16 is a bit more intimate, but appropriately so. A holy kiss was the practice of what happened when believers would meet. 
You'd kiss their beard, their cheek, their forehead. Research seems to indicate that men would greet the men, women would greet the women. It wasn't weird. It was an affectionate greeting that was part of the worship because worship was not just a private occasion. It involved a group. 1 Peter 5.14 actually calls this a kiss of love. But before you start going all New Testament on everyone, I want you to understand the deeper meaning behind this. Greeting someone with a holy kiss symbolized full acceptance and friendship. I'll say that again. It symbolized full acceptance and friendship. I've heard it said like this, that a kiss of greeting between first century Christians implied that no elite group existed, that all were equally loved and accepted, not only by God, but by one another. Church, this is the type of community I long for today. This is the type of community that goes beyond half-hearted Sunday schools. This is where, we like to use the buzz phrase, this is where you do life together. We see this happening. This is not some flippant greeting, but a powerful expression of authentic community. Let me remind you, the people Paul mentions specifically in this chapter are from all walks of life. Some of these folks lost their families, they lost their culture, they lost their jobs, they had their entire lives upended because of one thing, they claimed Christ as their king. If the church didn't welcome them, if the church didn't accept them, provide community for them, who would? It's been a long time since my wife and I were guests in a church. Over the last few weeks, we visited several groups, and so I understand the struggle of what so many face when they are looking for a place to belong. We've had literally great experiences with so many groups, but you know the ones that we connected with the best were the ones that reached out to us first. Church, I believe God has given us an opportunity, but I believe he's given us a responsibility to provide community for others. Did you know that this summer alone, we had over 180 first-time guests to our church? Did you know that we have hundreds of church attenders who go to First McKinney, which, by the way, many are in this room right now, who do not have a community, who do not have a life group or a small group or some sort of small connection of friends? And do you know that the greatest way to get someone into community is to simply greet them and invite them. Donna Kilgo, one of our staff members, sent me an article this week, and I loved this line. It says, if we are going to be intentional and not just friendly, can I say that part again? If we are going to be intentional and not just friendly, we have to break our huddles, get out of our circles, and watch out for those who don't have a friend just yet. Church, it doesn't matter if you have the right amount of money, the right set of clothes, or vote for the correct political party. It doesn't matter if we disagree on song styles and carpet colors. It doesn't matter what family you come from or where you put that tattoo. If Christ is your king and you've submitted your life to his will, there is a place for you to find community in the church. And can I say there is a place for you to find community at First McKinney. But before I move on, 
Let me address one of the elephants in the room. I recognize that some people who attend our church do not feel like they have a place. Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like you do not fit. And maybe that's because you don't have a traditional story. I can, can resonate with that. Maybe you feel like no one understands you and that there is not another person in this place that is like you. Maybe you tried to find a group and let's be honest, it just didn't work. This morning, if that happens to be how you feel, I want to say two things to you specifically. First, and hear me when I say this, I'm sorry. I understand that the pain that you feel is real. This church is filled with broken people who live in a broken world, and I want you to know, if you hear nothing else, that we have a place for you. Now, maybe, I'm going to be honest, maybe that place is as untraditional as you are, but we have a place, and we need you, and if you're willing to help me, I am willing to help you find it. Church, I don't ever want a person to walk through these doors to feel like they don't belong. Second, if that is how you feel, I'm asking you to pray about helping us provide the community that you were missing. We can never change what you have gone through or experienced. But what if through your help, we made sure no one else ever felt the way that you do? When we live in love like Jesus, we can literally change the culture. We see it here in Paul's writing. Finally, for Christian community to be experienced, it must be protected. Verse 17, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Church, we must be wise to what is good and innocent to what is evil. And we could do an entire message on this text alone. But at the end of the day, the goal of community is not to have a bunch of people that are, quote, just like us. We are called by God to love him, to love our neighbor. And because of that love, we make disciples. You will never grow in isolation. Therefore, you will never see the mission of God realized in your life without community. The backdrop of Paul telling these people to greet one another is over one million people living in Rome that desperately needed a relationship with God. There wasn't exactly a, whole, a second Baptist church for them to go to if they got mad about something. If these folks didn't step into the lives of the people around them, the church would die when they did. If we expect to see a lost world come to know Jesus, we must protect the community that God has entrusted to us. Some of the harshest language in all of Romans is found in these verses. Paul makes a strong appeal for unity and levies as big of a warning as he would make anywhere else in Scripture. So what causes disunity? Well, Paul, basically, I can sum it up in this way. Every issue in the church, 
every issue in the church stems from putting our wants and desires above God's. Paul himself struggled with it. In Romans 15, Ryan taught last week, Paul longed to come see the people that he's writing to. He wanted to come see the Romans, but he felt strongly that God had called him to Spain. So what does he do? He goes to Spain. Phoebe takes the letter. He put God's desires above his own. Paul warns, out, warns us to look out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. Divisions cause us to change direction. Obstacles create barriers. Both of these divert the work of the church. And church, anything, anything that causes us to change direction or hinders us from completing our mission of making disciples is a threat we must protect against. At the heart of the divisions we see in this passage, the heart of the obstacles in this passage are people motivated by their own appetites and their own desires. At some point, we have to be honest and say, the role and goal of the church is for not for me to have my way. So how do we protect the community that God's given us? Well, Paul says it. We must foster an authentic community based around sound doctrine. That means those in community must be in God's word personally. If you want to make sure you're not bringing your own appetites, your own desires into the church that may divert us from the mission of God, you must be attached to the Father. When you spend time with Jesus, then you bring a spirit into this place that keeps us focused on Jesus. But not only that, those in community must be in God's word corporately. It means our life groups and our small groups are not just social clubs. Yes, they're a place where we have dinner. Yes, we have socials and we'll shoot guns and have Christmas parties and all the things that, that we can do together in a group. But they're not just simply a social club, but a place where God's word is celebrated and proclaimed and honored. We also protect the community by having those in community being willing to raise up and teach others. Paul even said in chapter 15, verse 14, that he was, quote, satisfied with you because you were full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to teach others. Church, we can have the biggest groups ministry in the world, we can have a place for everybody under the sun. But I will not be satisfied until we have groups that can train up other people to lead groups. I will not be satisfied until we have parents that can train their children how to live and love like Jesus and then have their children be able to turn around and teach someone else. It is the only way that we protect the community. Sound doctrine does not mean that we simply know a bunch of stuff. Church, I've been in church long enough to know that there are many Christians who can give you four Greek words for love, but don't know actually how to show love. Sound doctrine means we know stuff so we can then replicate our lives in the lives of others. And as an aside, it means we must have a life worth replicating. So what do we do? In light. And being mindful of everything said this morning, what do we do with this passage? I want to say that there is a lot that we do right here at First McKinney. I've been here now two months, and 
I have fallen in love with this place, this staff. I love our church. I love that I get to call it my church now. I'm thrilled that God has allowed me to get to serve alongside you. But my passion, and I will never walk away from this, is I want everyone in this place that comes through these doors to experience Christian community. But for that to happen, it must be pursued, it must be provided, it must be protected. For some of you, it's as simple as meeting us in the Welcome Center or the Next Step Room because if you're willing to pursue community, we are willing to connect you to the people that can provide it for you. For others, I'm asking you to remember what it was like when you were a guest. I don't think you should expect a woman like Phoebe to come 700 miles away to bring you a letter from God, but I know a ton of people that have moved halfway across the country to be here that are in this church. Literally, the person next to you may, be conne- may not be connected to a group. And you could provide community for them simply by saying, how are you? Are you in a group? Would you like to come to mine? Some of you, I pray this morning that God calls you to help us start a new group to provide for others what you wanted for yourself. And I pray that all of us connect, com- protect community through sound doctrine, by committing ourselves to Jesus, committing ourselves to our group, and being willing to raise up new leaders. Finally, everything that I've said about Christian community begins with you being a Christian and understanding and knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. God wants so much for you, so much more for you than just showing up to church. God wants to transform your life. He wants you to have all of those things you secretly long for in life. But he wants you to have it his way because his way is best. But you can't have any of the community that we just talked about without it starting with a relationship with Jesus. That means you repent of your sin. You make Jesus your king. You say you're going to do it his way. And he will begin to grow you into what he has originally designed for you. I urge you this morning, do not walk out of this church today without talking to someone about how to have a relationship with Jesus. You can do that in the Next Step Room. You can do it at the Welcome Center. You can find anybody with a First McKinney badge on. Church, we have a responsibility. I believe God loves what is happening in this church, and I believe that God wants more for us. So what are we going to do? about helping making sure other people find community. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for today. And God, I'm thankful for the folks that are in this room. But God, I specifically want to pray over those people right now that find themselves disconnected. Lord, I'm grateful that they are here. But Lord, I know that you have called them into so much more. Lord, I pray that First McKinney can be the church that walks alongside, that is willing to step into the mess and junk of people's lives. Because because God, that is what you did for us. And Lord, you want to heal us of brokenness. God, you want to give us the friendships that we long for. God, you want to give us mission and value in life. And so God, I pray that not a single person walks out of this room today without knowing what they need to do for community. Father, I ask this in Christ's name. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us today for Worship Online. If you're in our area, we wanna invite you to come to physically connect to your local church. We would love to help you to live and love like Jesus alongside of others who are doing the same. If you're from outside of our area, can I challenge you to find a local church in your area that's gonna preach the Bible and exalt Jesus. Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.